Test, test, one, two, seven. Audio check, check, check. Watermelon rutabaga. Oh man, those don't go together at all. Have you heard about those clowns in Congress? They sure are a bunch of clowns. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the show. Have a good night. Don't forget to tip your waiter or waitress. We don't really care. Look, just tip everyone you could conceivably tip. Seriously, everybody's poor. Have you seen the economy? There are two NASAs funded by tip money, but I feel like we need three. Probably. Probably. All right. I think we're probably pretty good. Okay. a show that to understand you have to know that there was this one time where we was on the other end of the galaxy just minding our own business trying to play the blues for tubalberry pie. I, I have seen one tubalberry in my day. It was three meters long by five meters wide and as green as your wife. <laughs> My wife is so green. And we just wanted to eat. Lovely woman. Absolutely startling shade of green, though. It was truly. And all we wanted was this pie, and we could just head back home. But this fucking porcupine-headed son of a bitch, he just wouldn't let us have it and go. No, he he was of the mind that no, no, we had to pay for this pie. And, and with, with money. But actual money. Not. Yeah, not normal money. Not the wooden nickels we keep on us. Not pieces of paper that I have written five on and tried to explain is a valuable currency somewhere in the galaxy. No. Well, it's worth five. It's worth five of the thing. Five of whatever this would be, it is five of to you. And Whatever you want, it's five of them. He disagreed. He disagreed. And I did not appreciate that. Nor did I appreciate the shade of his suit. It was ugly. It was very ugly. And so orange, but also purple. And yet, why? Why? What is your deal, sir? It's, we, we eat shoes, sir. We have devoured shoes and drummers, drummers made of shoes, shoes made out of drummers. And at no point have we dressed so foully as you do there. Give me my pie and be on your way, sir. My name is Scott. I'm Jim. And hey, this is the show. We're sponsored by Humble Monthly, Be Humble by Bundles. Uh, check the link in the show notes so you can sign up now. Um, the monthly library is like a subscription service for games, but they're all digital, so they don't clutter up your shelves. And the selection is fucking fantabulous. We also could have called it Humble Pie and done that as a tie-in. I just considered that now. Isn't Humble Pie made out of crack? No, Mock Apple's made out of crackers. Yeah. What? Is humble pie just a metaphor, or is that actually like a pie made out of? Is that like a pot pie made out of mushrooms? No, I'm pretty sure humble pie is just a metaphor. So you tell me that two galaxy time traveling musicians are legitimately trying to acquire edible humble pie? Of course, these two can pull it off. Oh, if anyone's gonna get it, it's it's Gingivitis Kumquat Van Buren and One Eyed Z. Yeah, it's just that's that's how it's gonna go down, and they will be satisfied 
with humble pie. Oh, deeply satisfied with humble pie. Because it will be the first real meal they've had in six years. All right, so pick of the week, what you got, Jim? See, I've been trying to figure this out since we decided to do this at dinner. Um, what What's a better time to decide when to podcast? Lunch? No. Brunch? No. Some no. sort of afternoon tea? Liner, maybe. Maybe liner, but only sometimes. No, because, I mean, I went and saw Us last week, and I enjoyed the crap out of that. I've been reading a book called Team Human recently that I've been periodically picking a fight with, which is my response to any book that tells me something that I can prove differently with other books. And I constantly threaten to pick fight with books. Oddly, books don't fight back. You know, they're weird about it. Yeah, no, they, they think they're better than me. They think they don't have to fight back. I got hit in the eye with a book recently. Again. But it wasn't the book that started it. That was a completely unrelated, not safe for the podcast story. That's just gravity being a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Because fuck Sir Isaac Newton. If he hadn't figured it out, we wouldn't fall down. That's how that works. He invented gravity. Collective understanding of reality is reality. Yeah. So as long as Galileo doesn't run around shouting about where the sun's at, we get to say. Yeah, it still just rotates in our sky above us, and we are the center of the universe. Science is what makes everything shit. Uh, fuck Ptolemy for, you know, just stepping out of line 2,000 years before we drew the line. Yeah. Ptolemy fucking doing things before we decided what they meant. Yep, you and your... Being probably so dead at this point, there isn't even a proper fragment of you left. There, there are no bits of Ptolemy for me to piss on. Like, there's atomic structures spread out across the planet. I mean, if I sneeze, I'm disturbing Ptolemy's ashes, so that's got to count for something. Oh, yeah. Um, Especially now as we move into tree sex season. Oh, fucking tree sex. You know, if you're okay with that, if you, if you go, man, look. Winter is over. It's a great time to be outside. If you just tolerate the sexual proclivities and kinks of trees, and yes, I am kink-shaming plant life, come at me, then you do not understand what kind of an example you are setting for adults and children everywhere. For children, they suddenly assume it's okay to just spray their seed willy-nilly and affect my ability to breathe and see. And for adults, well, I can't breathe the fucking seed because allergy season is a bitch. So, okay, no. This is my bone to pick of the week. <laughs> fucking allergy season. Who the hell said it's okay for plants to just shoot off everywhere and we're supposed to tolerate it? I don't remember agreeing to this. I don't remember seeing a memo. Nobody ran this by city council or the local government. What about you? You ever see this shit? No. You know why? Because it's just, it's okay. And everybody just goes along with it. And I'm fucking done with that. So, yeah, what's your um, you know, I've been playing, I've been playing around on my phone on the way to work. Marvel, the, the, the Puzzle Quest Marvel seems to be fun. Does it still cheat? Uh, not as much as it used to. Okay, that's an improvement. Yeah. Anybody that ever tells you that Puzzle Quest doesn't cheat, i.e. the lead developer who has repeatedly said it doesn't cheat, is a fucking liar. Like, it, it's less mean-spirited than the main Puzzle Quests. Mostly because they know they can get my money by just offering more characters and scenarios based on semi-recent event books. Yeah. Like, they, they aren't on the hook to get my nickels the way Magic Puzzle Quest is. You mean, hey, spend five cents so you can have this doodad so I can't cheat for five rounds? Yeah. Instead, it's, well, you've got Carol with the Mohawk. Do you want Carol without? 
has about binary, binary with no flaming hair. Classic Carol, classic Carol, but slightly different shade. Carla, other Carla, other Carla, other Carla, other Carla. Look, I've, I may have unlocked two different Spider-Mans without paying a dime, so yes. That's fine. I've got seven Goku. I have six Android 18s in Dragon Ball Legends. Wow, that seems like a lot of Android 18s, even even for a free-to-play game. They're all, all of them are out of the Cell Saga, too. It's really specific. Well, I'm like, okay, some of these variations, you are stretching. Like, one is from the future Trunks arc that's referenced in Cell Saga. Yes. And then it's like her normal outfit, her outfit with the pearls, her outfit just after she comes back from the dead. Like, I'm like, okay, you are getting levels of minutiae here that I know is a money soak. Calm down. Well, okay. So does that level of particularity extend to characters that maybe last the whole series? Is there Piccolo with a hat? Is there Piccolo with no hat? There, there is Piccolo, like just basic turban-wearing Piccolo. And then there is Piccolo, but he's evil Piccolo from the beginning when he shoots Goku through the chest by way of Raditz. There is Fused with Nail. There is, I think there's a second Fused with Nail. There's Fused with Kami. Like there's, there are less Piccolos than Android 18s, actually, now that I think about it. Which is weird, because again, Piccolo, whole show. Yeah, been there the entire time, full character arc, kind of a big deal, less instances. There's shit tons of Gohans. Well, Gohan goes through the most outfits of anyone in Dragon Ball. There are three Gokus from the same arc. Yeah, but... There's Goku when Raditz kicks the shit out of him. There's Goku after he comes back from that. There is Goku right before he uses Kaioken. And then there's Kaioken Goku. Like... It's just, I know you're milking money, but somewhere along the way, somebody's just got to be like, okay, is, does this really matter? And like, there's people just constantly complaining that Vegeta only uses Gallic Gun. But that's the best move. Yeah, like what? You want him to use Big Bang Attack? What are you, a chump? Yeah, yeah. Come on. Anyhow. So tonight's episode. Well, I should do, I did mine. Fuck. Yeah. This is how long we've been talking about Dragon Ball. Anyhow, more beer. It's always the right answer. But no, it's good to hear that it's a Puzzle Quest that doesn't cheat actively. Because that's actually why I stopped playing Puzzle Quest overall. It gets really frustrating when you go into a fight and it's just, okay, I just need a couple more things and I might be able to win. And the game just goes, chain, 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 you're dead. Yeah, that that hasn't happened to me yet. Good. So, our episode tonight, we've promised this a couple times, or I have. And then there's the implied promise of, well, we've talked about two Star Treks. When you get to, when are you going to get to more Star Treks? And here we fucking stand. On the cusp of Star Trek, god damn, mother fuck, all you shit storm, balls McGee, tits voyager. I felt like you could have just put ass in there too, because why not? Like, oh, I, there's part of me, it's like, halfway through that round, it's like, which of the seven have I missed? Cocksucker. Cocksucking Voyager. Yep. yep, we missed that. Not that cocksucking is a bad thing. No, that's the whole point to that part of the sketch. It's like, no like, one, no one's upset at cocksucking. Like, when did that start meaning a bad man? It used to mean a good woman, is the follow-up to the observation on cocksucker. And if you somehow have never seen the seven words, pause this, go watch some classic Carlin and enjoy yourself because it's a great act. Carlin's Carlin's bits are strong and they'll be strong well after I'm dead. Well, they're still strong and he's been dead for a while. So yeah, 
But yeah, so we are, we are going to do the classic voyage home. And on that note, I'm going home. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. fuck, I live here. So, Paramount, finally, after 30 years of trying, gets their goddamn TV network. Yep. They've, again, no, straight up, 30 years of trying to get a goddamn TV network running. And it only took the advent of basic cable running out of shit to do to generate, oh, hey, Paramount already has a studio lot and a bunch of writers and a, like central casting to just say, hey, maybe they should have a network. They might as well run something. They've got every other mechanism in the first place. Like, they, there's no reason they shouldn't have been running a network forever. I guess basic cable will allow this to happen. Yep. So, so Paramount launches the Universal Paramount Network with fucking nothing. Arachnophobia. Ara- they have arachnophobia. If you don't believe me, look back to the early days of UPN, where they not only started the channel by running arachnophobia, and by the way, it's, it's a TV-edited version of arachnophobia, so there's no swearing, there's no, there's no real violence, which is really hard to do when you have a movie about monster spiders. Well, it's also, like, the movie's pretty tame just because it's puppets doing, small puppets doing violence to big humans. Yeah, but you're still going to edit that, so it's, it's really awkward, there's a lot of bad framing, and they're going to run, not only do they start the channel with this, much in the same way that Space started with Forbidden Planet, Yeah, and that's a wonderful way to start a sci-fi network. Well, if you're going to launch a sci-fi network, Forbidden Planet's a great way to do it. If yeah. you're going to launch a music television network, Video Killed the Radio Star, yeah. UPN, with their access to the Paramount Pictures Library. Which is pretty fucking extensive. It's pretty big. Like, they could have actually not put out any TV for a month. Yeah. And just run movies. And hell, that probably would have done great ratings. For oh, them. they would have had a massive viewership. Yeah, just, there, there's a reason why AMC happened. Yeah. But no, they open their volley with arachnophobia, and they run it at least once a week. Every week, and nobody knows why, because it's not that good a fucking movie. Like, I saw it once. I might watch it a second time someday. The most remarkable thing in that film to me is the old man who gets bit when he tries to put his foot into a slipper, and a spider bites him, and he falls over and he's cringing. He's like, ah, it feels like I got bit by a tiger. And it's like, there's a scope and scale problem here that I am just not fathoming. I feel like a tiger bite isn't well, going to be that small, and well, I feel like it's going to be more painful if it's as venomous as you're implying. Well, that's it. Like, that, that, that's, that is literally, that, that, that's literally the difference, right? Well, like, it's, what are they, tarantula hawk wasps? Yeah. And that's what those are called? Yeah, Fucking casadors. Yeah, they're the meanest possible spider. But a tiger takes a lot more meat with yeah. it. Than yeah. spiders do. So it's this question of venom versus actual body mass missing. Yeah, like a tiger bites my arm off. That's gonna hurt. But I feel like it's actually less painful than, say, a bullet ant. Yeah. Because it's just, it's all the nerves where my arm used to be freaking the fuck out because they can't feel an arm compared to this one localized area where that nerve ending is lit up like a fucking Christmas tree. So speaking about nerve endings and pain, we come Voyager. back. We come back to well, the UPN. Yep. So they are like, now we're going to be a proper TV network, which means building 
a stable of sitcoms that fail, a stable of animated series that fail, and then somehow Star Trek Voyager, which by all rights should have failed four times before they finally let it die. Before well, it reached its intended endpoint. And this is going to be a sticking point for me is that the original series was a five-year plan and mm-hmm. that they wanted five years. They said so in the opening crawl. Not that they had an arc or character development plan for five years, but no, five years just seems pretty good for telling this kind of a story. But they were just like, we would like to do a hundred or so episodes of television about men living on this starship. Mm-hmm. And uh, Next Gen didn't have the five-year rule, but so so TOS gets canceled at year three. Due to a total misunderstanding of how ratings work. Just by a failure of ratings and a failure of budgeting when ratings disagreed with other people. Yeah, They're like, no, well, nobody's watching this. Nielsen updates their system. Oh, God, everybody was watching this. Yeah, so, so there's that. So it gets canceled and revived, and that's a great story that we haven't done the TOS episode. We'll get to it. And animated series was just delightful if you've never seen it. And animated series was this... For a stopgap filmation product is way better than anything else filmation did. Well, Satan. Satan. <laughs> like, you got an episode in there that's written by Larry Niven for shits and giggles well, tied he, into his crap. Well, he literally just was like, I'm annoyed at bug-eyed monsters in sci-fi. Can I write a Star Trek about it? And it's the animated series, so yes. Yeah, why not? Jimmy Doohan voicing no less than three characters in a given episode. Shatner well, never works. Well, like, Michelle Nichols also wrote plays yep. three to seven characters in yep. episode. So, so we kind of get our five years. Next gen, a byproduct of phase two that failed, movies that didn't get picked up, and the first attempt to launch the Paramount Network failing yep. comes out and runs in first run syndication as long as it can. Two years past where it should have. But. Yeah. And part of that is audience demand. Part of that is kind of getting out of that first two-year repetition of, well, let's just dredge up old toss plots. And it's like, let's not. Let's not do that. Those are bad ideas. And so, just so we do that. Everybody gets the swing going. And it's the cast is interesting. People like the characters. You know, you are... They, they, settle, they, settle, on the, they settle on a good budget solution where you can see... Bits of backgrounds repeat themselves. Yeah, but but, that, but anyway, doesn't hurt, right? Doesn't hurt. So Voyager and actually gets a good ending, and, and it gets a proper ending. It gets a proper ending. That show could have run forever, but they they do they got out of the way to do the two part ending right, mm-hmm. tie it all up in a bow. So, but finally, Paramount is like, no, we've got our network. We don't have to rely. We don't have to uh, run this through CBS anymore. We don't have to run it through past CBS. We don't have to convince weird cable stations and corner case affiliates to buy this show for weird time slots anymore. We are going to be like, fuck it, show up Tuesday, 7 p.m. It was 7 Central. Yes, yeah, 7 Central. And speaking of somebody from the Atlantic time zone, that's a pain in the ass. That is 9 o'clock at night. Fuck you for putting on a Star Trek that late. It's really hard for me to tune in when I'm a kid. Yeah. Also... Also, why were there no Atlantic affiliates for UPN? Because 
the only things that are in the Atlantic time zone are Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, and like part of Quebec. No, I'm I'm thinking about U.S. Like, there's nobody in the U.S. in the Atlantic time zone. Yeah, yeah. Like the the furthest East America goes terminates before the Atlantic Standard Time. So so clearly you can. So there was no. So you were stuck in a scenario where whatever UPN was on the East Coast didn't have a range far enough for you. Yep, it was great. God, this this is basically the same conversation we have about dial-up. It's like, oh, we were old enough to remember when TV depended on geography. Yeah. So, so anyway, they've got their proper network. And as much as Deep Space Nine is doing its thing the same way Next Gen did, they've got their network. We get to do a Star Trek. We're going to make our show, and it's going to be great. And Trek fans are going to love it. And everybody's going to tune well, in and, and we're going to make it different. And Yeah, that's it. The writer's room on this is like, it's going to be next gen, but different. We're going to have characters that don't like each other. We're going to have consequences. We're going to have things that matter long term. And do you know what happened? That all disappeared in six episodes. Oh, God, yeah. Like six fucking episodes were like, hey, we're going to have scarcity. No, we don't. We're going to have characters that don't like each other because they're on opposite sides of a political thing we set up in Deep Space Nine. They'll get over that in like an hour. Yeah, inside of an hour, that's gone. And we have to write an episode to remind people that happened four episodes later. And it still goes away the episode after that. We're going to have so much. We're going to avoid the painful, annoying reset button tech problem nonsense that you know we had the last two years in next gen except we don't no we, we've still got to include that to justify our shitty story we're gonna so character so, death is going to matter no it isn't again we're in the middle of nowhere with nothing to stand on so when those ensigns die it's gonna be harder for everyone else no it's not and okay so so when we talk about ds9 yeah, I you, pointed out that my initial beef with DS9 was the we don't go anywhere principle. And yeah, because they didn't go anywhere. No, exactly. And I mean, that was my beef with Babylon 5. Like, well, when I watched I mean, Star Trek... Deep Space Nine had the benefit of people coming to them. Yeah, but that was, like, just me as a kid, lack of familiarity with storytelling techniques and everything else. I watched Star Trek, and I like to see the journey. I like to see them going out and exploring. And DS9, Babylon 5 both sat in the same place, and people came to them. Now, over time, the story crystallized. Writers got focused, like things got better. Yeah. Voyager is supposed to be the journey home. Well, that's it. It's you are at the strangest possible place you have ever been. Yeah. And the goal is to find something familiar. Yeah. And that's that can be an interesting story. Well, that can hell, create good conflict. Hell, the idea that you get to season six and oh my fucking Christ, we found a Ferengi. Yeah. Just that but, being a story is like, Oh man, we're that much closer because we're thing- seeing things we know. Well, you bump into a Romulan, which by all rights should be the worst thing to bump into when you are trying to get home and you're like, oh my God, we are we are that close to the Beta Quadrant. Oh, thank Christ. Yeah, but that's not the fucking story. No, and that's the problem. Okay, so shall we begin? All right. And there are, I guess, two angles I want to come at Voyager from which is their failure to live up to their own premise. Yeah. And then there's 
our typical way of going about Star Trek review episodes, where we kind of just break down the ensemble and talk about how they focus on each one, because that's how TNG did it, right? Like, that's how TNG found its legs, was just, we're going to go to a place, and that's going to matter to a character. Yeah, how are our main character focuses for this episode going to respond to this scenario? Usually Picard and somebody else. It's Picard and Data, or it's maybe Worf and Picard. Yeah, there, there's a handful of characters who stand out more often, but, you know, Troy got her episodes, yeah. you know. Some of them were good, some of them were not. But, but, but so I mean, here we have this instance where we have a central cast who are going to get their turn in the spotlight. Well, and then we have a premise that seems promising, but won't be fulfilled until Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. So, well, let's let's look at the characters first. Because the characters on their base, before everything goes completely to shit. Before the writers just give up. Yeah. Are actually moderately interesting. Like, you've got Kate Mulgrew, who is a wonderful actress. Delight in fucking anything I've ever watched her in. And I have beef with Voyager, but I can never point to anything she's done as well, an actress. Th- this is a problem with, I think... Trek culture has this problem where when the writers or producers do wrong, they point at the actors. And I'm going to say Voyager is patient zero for that? Kind of, yeah. And I mean, this is spread into Star Wars and well, a bunch of other TV shows, but... It's, it's now the norm among sci-fi fandom to blame the actor for bad writing. Yeah. So so we have Kate Mulgrew, who has earned her bones like nine times over, just as a character actor on real fucking TV, gets lead actress in a role with some meat on it. And help Jerry Taylor, who wrote some damn good next gen and consulted some okay DS9, says, Hey, we're gonna shine on you. Yep. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make some TV hang on you, Kate, this quasi-riff on Kirk. Like, she's more of a riff on Kirk than Picard was, but it's still a riff. She's got room to be her own. Yeah, but she's, like, she is, by the book, kind of hard as nails, but not because she is a Starfleet captain, so if you make her fucking militant, it'll be weird. But it depends it, heavily on Coffee, which was always just a fun character quirk and a dividing point between her and Picard, which was definitely there for that reason. Oh, yeah, that's that's definitively like, okay, so Picard orders tea when he wants to cool down and Janeway never doesn't have coffee. No. But, you know, what? well, one of the marks at the time, you know, first lady captain. And it's like, okay, all right. That's not, like, that shouldn't make much of a difference, but I'm intrigued to see what you're going to do with it, how you're going to play it. And props to the writing staff for going all seven years and not making her love life or her ability to get pregnant or anything else plot, a plot element. Yeah, like, there's no episode, it comes up to a point, not, not the baby making part, but the love life comes up to a point in a couple very, very, very bad episodes. Yes, the worst episodes are like, oh yeah, this captain's a woman. Let's do woman things about it. Here's this male character who's going to flirt with her. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I haven't looked her up in forever. Background like, she is married, isn't she? Yeah, Kate Mulgrew's married. She had No, no, I mean Janeway. Oh, no. Is Janeway not married? 
I don't think she was because there was a Terran husband. I don't think she was because I'm going to say that the writers specifically left a back door open for Chicote and her to do something. Oh, and there we're back to season one and two. Yeah, that was a season one, two th- problem. Ugh. And then the actor who played Chicote just gave up. So that never happened. And again. I appreciate that because there's no chemistry between the two characters. No matter how you try and write that in, there's no chemistry between the two fucking characters. This isn't, like, this isn't Picard and Crusher. Yeah. Like, like, this isn't... And I appreciate that Star Trek has never done a proper will-they-won't-lay. No, like, again, Picard and Crusher is kind of the closest we get, and that's, you know... Well, the the closest is Spock and Nurse Chapel, and it's... Well, okay, yeah, and, and, well, Kirk and Yeoman Rand. Yeah, like, and like that's the will they, won't they, but that's like, that's, that's, that's a different version of 90s sitcom will they, won't yeah, they, that I'm thinking of. Chapel is sitting there with like a book of Spock pictures and Spock's completely oblivious to it. Yeah. Kirk and Rand kind of shoot each other sideways glances and suddenly the ship is on red alert for no explicable <laughs> reason. But so, so Janeway is a real character who is genuinely interesting yeah. and at some point, the writers gave the fuck up and decided that she would just say whatever they thought would make her write that day or piss off Mulgrew that day. Yeah, whatever excuse we can have to invoke. Or piss off the fandom that anybody, day. Right, like, motives seem to be, let's fuck with people. You know, oh, well, we, we, we can't get involved with this race because it would get us home faster, but it's the prime directive. Oh, but we can siphon alien spirits into the warp core. That's not a prime directive violation. Okay. Oh, well, it kind of is, but we're going to dance around that a little bit for that episode. So so the prime directive is a third pillar of my beef with Voyager. You mean because it's brought up like a club? Yeah, well... Okay, so the Prime Directive is part of my beef with Enterprise and my beef with it's a, every it's a Star Trek fucking premise. It is it has been part of my beef with Star Trek since Next Gen because Prime Directive comes up halfway through season two of Toss to make things harder for Kirk, and it's it's only really invoked right there. Yeah, like just, you can't fuck with this race, but we need to. It's, there are rules against it. That's great. Doing it anyway. Yeah, yeah. And we're allowed to. Kirk breaks it all the time, and he gets off on it because presumably when he came up for debrief, he made a speech, and, well, who can stand in the face of Kirk's speech? No, of course. Of course. And, I mean, Picard has violated it four times and got off on it because who can stand in the face of Picard's speech? But when Janeway brings up the Prime Directive, it is dogma. It is it is commandments unto, you know, damnation that we dare not cross anything. If we violate this, we might as well execute ourselves. And yeah. it's like, no, there is one thing on the books for that. There is one thing that is still executable in the Federation, and you aren't even in the right quadrant for that. So you can just calm the fuck down take the crazy alien warp technology and get home next week. Yeah, and that that's legitimately it. It misunderstands the wording of the directive in the previous two shows, and it uses it only to prolong the show. To keep the show running. A show that did the will we get home early, like Art is Gilligan off the island. No. In the third episode. Yep. The third episode was, 
oh man, I think Gilligan's getting off the island. And I'm like, no, just no. Like, I know TV writers don't think highly of their viewers. But we know you paid for a full season. But come the fuck on, we know Gilligan doesn't get home. But yeah, so so Janeway. So Janeway. So Janeway, Kate Mulgrew, wonderful act. Janeway, potential to be a very interesting character. And you know what? It, if you hold up the Prime Directive as, I don't think we should be doing this. Like, we have to make this call. You know, do we uphold our ethos or do we focus on survival? And that that is a suitably that's Star a, Trek philosophical question. That's a great tension. And it'll come up in Battlestar Galactica oh. in a... Like, <laughs> and, and that's it. This is it. It's... Like, it's that... What could be the interesting... What... This this is Voyager. It's like, hey, what would be an interesting thing to do with this idea? Let's not and leave it for Battlestar no, Galactica. Let's, let's just put that aside because we don't want to. It's not even that we're an incompetent white writers' room because they aren't. Like they're, they're Jerry Taylor good. was yeah. really good. Yeah, like and they forced her out. So so the show just keeps choosing to do the less interesting option. Yeah. So which brings us to Chakotay. Yeah. So Chakotay is Native American, but they couldn't be arsed to just pick up- Learn anything? Yeah. Like, it doesn't take much to write a Native American person. You pick a tribe, you open the encyclopedia to that tribe, you inform the character- with what the encyclopedia says about that tribe. Yeah, maybe maybe get a consultant from the tribe to be like, hey, you want to kind of look over this? Are there any story elements you could give us a hand with? Anything neat you want to contribute? Like we're, we're and you know, we're trying to be, we're, we're trying to make this accurate, right? Like we, we just want to tell, well, it's no different than casting Picard as French, yeah. right? It's, this is part of this guy's background. Yeah, this is part of his heritage. Yes, it's been... Roughly 300 years and a near total global calamity. So the culture is going to have changed a bit. Yeah. But still. But still, if you tell me he's part of the Winnebago tribe, we can do something with that. Yeah. What they do instead is they rely on a guy who got his PhD lying about seven different tribes. Yeah. And not like he's on in the room, just just articles he wrote. We're just going to read his shit. We're not going to talk to him. Skim his shit. So so we have Chicote, whose background is a series of left-wing weird nonsense about how Native Americans worked. Well, he's vaguely shamanistic when that's relevant to the plot. As long as it doesn't require peyote, in which case he says, oh, Starfleet's too good for peyote. Yeah, but that's why I'm Maquis, the rebellious kind of anti-Star Trek, specifically against the Cardassians. But that's why I don't trust you, Janeway, for all of three episodes. For for two and a half (laughs) episodes, I'm the leader of the Maquis for this faction, except what and it's not even like, oh, the concerns of the Maquis don't matter in the Delta Quadrant. It's not, oh, hey, we've got two different crews stuck together, quickly realizing that whatever divided them doesn't matter here. Yeah, like it's, the political divide is not relevant in the needs of survival. That is another person standing beside you. Hey, fellowship, community, very good plot elements on the journey home. But it's it's literally 
within 15 goddamn minutes, it's, I don't like your Starfleet ways. Oh, but I got over it. It's fine. But it's fine. Yeah, I figured it out. It turns out- At episode eight, we'll have a holodeck scenario that reminds us we were actually on different sides of the Civil War there. But we're going to have a holodeck episode in Voyager. Okay. The holodeck in Voyager is a character on our list. Oh, so, that's a whole different kind of rage. So, fuck Fairhaven. Oh, <laughs> oh he just blew out two mics. Yeah. On so, Ugh. so after Chakotay, who is in theory of love interest to someone on this show, seven of nine. Okay, yeah. I mostly just took it to be he was her mechanic. Well. Like, he was just a little handsy mechanic. That's really all that was. He's a guy who's just a little too into cars, but not enough that you're really worried. So, after Chakotay, who's boring and wrong. Yep. Boring well, and wrong. Th- those, by the way, are his character traits. He is uninteresting, and anytime he tells, like, anytime Janeway tries to make a decision, whatever he proposes is the wrong one. Anytime he tries to take command, it makes things worse. This man is her first officer. So, we get into her second officer. Tuvok, who I forgot about until right now. Yeah, that, that's straight up it. I thought we were going to go Tom Paris or Harry Kim. Well, that's it. It's like Tom Paris and Harry Kim have things we remember about them. They're, they're characters. They're actually interesting characters. The worst part is Tuvix would have been an interesting character. Okay, that that's the real crime of this whole scenario is that the episode where Tuvok and Neelix get stuck together... And become a person? Yeah, a single unified being called Tuvix, who is calmer and easier to get along with than Tuvok, but a better cook than Neelix. And Tuvix is interesting. He's engaging, but they're all trying to figure out a way to fix the transporter error. And he calls them out on it. He's like, I am a living person. I'm a whole person now. Yeah, like, I have autonomy. I have a right to exist. Yeah, but we want our friends back. This is murder. I don't blame you. I feel bad for you. And it's like, no, no, this is a Star Trek conundrum. And you're supposed to solve this by not killing him. Yeah, you're supposed to solve this. And the the solution on Voyager is forever reset button. Yeah. We kill him and everything goes back to normal because the episode has to end fundamentally the same way it began. That is the Year of Hell two-parter. And that is where my real beef with this series actually exists. We'll get to it. It's great. So, so Tuvix, so Tuvok is a Vulcan and that's it. That's his character trait. That, he's, that's a Vulcan. It. he's a Vulcan. <laughs> like early on, he's like mentoring Kess, who's also a telepath, which means he's in a position to help because Vulcan powers. Yeah. And, you and then Kess- teacher student dynamic. Well, maybe it, he loosens up a bit. because It was there. Yeah. It was there. And then. Kess didn't test well enough, so Kess went away. She went crazy and disappeared and then came back as a villain at one point. And then I think they, they might have killed her with the ship lasers. I don't even remember anymore. Yeah. Anyway, so Kess went Kess went bad. So Tuvok. I have to go. My planet needs me. So, tu, so Tuvok lurks around for four years. Filling in the first officer role. Like he's, he is now the other half of a complete first officer. You know, I wonder what would have happened if they'd merged him with Chakotay. Would they have split them back up or recognized that it's still a better character? It's like, oh, we've merged two boring assholes together. I guess there's no sense fixing that problem. <laughs> That's fine. He'll be boring and wrong all the time. <laughs> all right. So we come to 
the rest of our deck crew, starting so, with Harry Kim. So he's dead. We brought him up. He died. <laughs> Harry Kim died how many times over the course of seven years? <sighs> Three, possibly four. And I argue four because it's a question of whether or not you count the silver-blooded one's death twice. Fair. Yeah. So Harry Kim is a proper Starfleet ensign. He dies. He screams. He has no real contribution to the series other than dying and screaming. Yeah, you could you could replace Harry Kim with a new guy every week, and it would be the same show. Yep. It's, I, when I ran a Star Trek campaign, that character's name was Ensign Ricky. He was two dots in everything because a player wouldn't show up, and Ricky would fill in, and if Ricky died, I just cloned a new Ricky. It was great. <laughs> so, yeah. So... Literally, this is this is the joke. Like, when we joke about redshirts on toss, Harry Kim is that guy. Yeah. And we could have had a different guy in that role every week, except we decided that no. Well, there's an added screw job to Harry Kim, because Harry Kim dies three to four times. And given that Starfleet is loosely based on the Navy, normally, when you die in the name of duty, trying to protect your ship or your crew, you are given, you know, a posthumous improvement in rank. Yeah, you, you are... You are commended. Yeah. So Harry Kim goes seven years as an ensign, finally returns to Earth, and is still an ensign. Well, no, he gets promoted, and then Janeway demotes him for a reason that seems really petty, because it was a year the writer's room was mad at Mulgrew. You mean every year? Well, every year after Taylor left. So, so in order to make Janeway seem less interesting, they decided to have her be petty with Kim. Well, that's because you can just kill him next episode and nobody will notice. Yeah, so you you could you could change the number of pips on his collar all the fucking time because he doesn't matter. Just put seven there. It's okay. Yeah, like you could promote him to full agri- admiral, yep. but he's still going to get eaten by the space wedgie. Yep. Uh, so his, so his character traits are dying, screaming, being an ensign, and being best friends with Tom Paris. So we get periodic, like, serial episodes starring them. The only good use of the holodeck in the entire show. Because Flash Gordon ripoffs are great. Well, and that's it. Like, Harry Kim is, I think, on attempt to build an O'Brien. Yeah. Like, they saw O'Brien happen as an organic process of... That actor showing up all the time. Yeah. Colmini is delightful. The audience responds well to him. I'm sure we can do more with him at some point. Let's transfer him off to DS9. Oh man, let's start writing character-focused scripts. Let's focus on him and his wife and his kids. This will be great. Oh look, development, development. He's got a best friend. Development, development. Everybody's on board for what's going on with Chief O'Brien. Yeah. And then there's Harry Kim, who is defined only by his ability to suffer to be corrected by Janeway, and to be tolerated as a peer group for Tom Paris. Is Harry Kim Space Buddha? No. But his existence is just an extended series of suffering and repeated returns from the dead. Except Space Buddha would have something interesting to say about his own pain. That's fair. That's true. So Harry Kim and... I'm not the first to point this out, but I'm happy to take credit for some of my jokes about it, is, you know, a guy who started at a ensign out, he came out of Starfleet, he's got his command, he's, he's got his officer's pips, he's got his command training, he's on track to run a starship one day. One day he will run a starship. Yep. And in seven years in the Delta Quadrant, a busboy at Quark's Bar in Deep Space Nine becomes a 
better officer than him. Yep. Also, uh, Star Trek Online has Harry make a riff on his own death. Yeah. They they brought his character well, back in. He can't in... not joke about his death. Otherwise, he'd be a complete wreck. Well, he should be. Let's be honest. There isn't enough therapy in the universe to address the sheer volume of mortality this poor son of a bitch has gone through. The confusing part is I'm not sure which one they resurrect in that plot line. Like, there's the one that comes back at the end of Voyager, but then they use a Harry Kim corpse to make a different alien. And I'm not sure which corpse they got, because he had a bad habit of disintegrating. <laughs> so so it's like, did, are there more Harry Kims out there? Like, is Harry Kim basically multiple man? Every time he dies, he spawns two more of himself. Okay, if you tell me there are, like, six Ensign Kims in Planet Act- of the Kim. No, not, not Planet of the Kims, but, like, every time Harry died... They brought him back, and now there are four or five Harry Kims running around Starfleet just doing scut deck officer work on the third shift. Someday I'll be a lieutenant. <laughs> yeah, just just four of them constantly vying for the vaguest sense of authority or, you know, recognition in terrible jobs. Yeah. That that's something for this character. That's but, a web comic, by the way. If anybody wants to write and draw that, do it. It's a good idea. Like the O'Brien comic back in the day was pretty good. Well, that's it. And there's part of me that says there's a really good comic in Captain Nog and Lieutenant O'Brien. And this is a nothing ship. It it just runs supplies between Federation outposts. But somehow those two are just a great Tim. I would enjoy that, at least partially because you get Kim going, well, I've got all this experience from being out there and I think we should do this. And Nog would just look at him and be like, and how many times have you died? Yeah, that seems like a great idea, but did that kill you? Yeah, is this one of the scenarios where you died? Well, well, it did lead to one of the ones where I died. Then we're not doing it. Well, I guess we have to do the opposite yeah. of that now, don't we, yeah. Lieutenant Harry? I don't know. I'll get Chakotay on the phone. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> What's Chakotay going to do? He's going to tell us to consult our spirit guides <laughs> like he always does. Just ask your spirit animal. Do you even know what that is? No. So Tom fucking Paris. So who, Tom Paris is actually a good character. Well, he'd have been a great character if they did Gone with the original plan. Well, he was a great character when he was a different character in TNG. <laughs> yeah, so he was a great character on TNG, and then that actor played a similar, almost-ish character on Voyager. Which was weird. Like, you got the same guy back. It hasn't been that long. Like, it's not like he's aged enough for you to be able to go, oh, that's two different people. You could have just well, put no. the name on there. The, the plan was to put that name on that guy. And then... Someone higher up said, no, no, that man is a criminal. We can't empathize with that in our show about terrorists and yeah. morons running a spaceship in the opposite end of the universe. Even though, that, like, I'm sorry, you go, okay, no, like, he's a Federation escapee who's on the ship and goes, okay, no, I learned my lesson. I fully got through the Academy. I've got ship experience. I can help. Well, that's it. Like... The character from that episode of TNG, I'm not going to look up his name. No, no, doesn't but, matter. But, you know, the episode of TNG where Wesley is too gung-ho about doing forbidden starfighter maneuvers. It's Wesley has friends. You already know it's a bad scenario. Yeah, Wesley makes a friend, so of course they're all dead. <sighs> but no. So this guy is like, look, I 
technically graduated Starfleet Academy with an officer's commission. And I'm also in Starfleet prison for things I did earning that commission. And here I am at the S end of nowhere, basically rehabilitated by all their standards, but now being put to the test in a way no one would ever let me in the Alpha Quadrant. That's a good character hook. Yeah, and then Voyager fails its and then Voyager fails its premise. Yeah. So this guy is just competent at everything all the time. He's also cherry-picked elements out of other characters. Like, he's got a bit of Riker in him for no good reason. Yeah. Like, it was somebody in the writer's room wanted this guy to be more interesting. Again, I, I'm sorry, I love the pulp serial bits on the holodeck because they were stupid and fun and just, I enjoyed it. Captain Photon is a great idea and... I sincerely wish, like, in a better world, Captain Photon would have been made up as a Jordian data activity yeah. that other people would do on every show. And, well, hell, you could. Like, it'd be perfectly fine to just, if, because, you know, we've got the Picard-focused show coming up, right? Yeah. Like, let's say for some reason, you know, Spiner and LeVar decide, you know, we want to do a bit part in here. And you just have him walk in and they're doing Captain Photon. And they're doing? black and white, and there's Patrick Stewart in full color, yeah. wearing like the de- the officer's dress uniform. It's like, you know, I asked you here for an actual reason. Yeah, not so you could meddle around with the holodeck. Oh, but we like this. I understand you like this program. We have work to do, guys. Like, I appreciate that, but we've got a minute, a meeting in fifteen. Can we can we talk about it? Besides, I recognize this scenario. Ensign Kim died in the middle of this one. Who's Ensign Kim? Exactly. Now, come on. (laughs) All right. So, fucking Tom Paris, who's good at everything all the time, always. And then somehow, whatever he accomplishes gets underwritten because the show still needs us to be 10 kabillion light years from home. We can't progress because progression allows growth. Interest? Interest. I don't know. And this is it. The show says that they are 70 years of travel from the Alpha Quadrant. And at no point do any of their does any of their progress change that. No, like they'll they'll periodically will be told, oh well, they're a little bit closer. Oh well, they've put this thing in. It's not until the end where they manage to use the Borg network to quick jump home. Well, that this is it. It's Sometimes the reward is, oh, we saved a week. Yeah. We saved a week. We were ahead, you know, we're ahead a few more light years. Or, oh man, this problem's going to take us 10 months off our course. And it never matters. And well, that's because you're going to, because everyone on this crew is going to be fucking 90 when they get anywhere near what they know to be a homeland. Which, and I'm going to once again say, hey, they solved this by, in Battlestar Galactica by saying there was a season where the crew on Battlestar Galactica gave up, said a planet was good enough, and parked there. Yeah, and that's, that's it. Like, you hit the all is lost moment and you just go, fuck it. And the thing is, that's fine. That's a perfectly interesting point. And you can do that. You can build into that. Like, 
again, referencing Year of Hell real quick, if they had spun Year of Hell where the characters should go, you know what? We can't. We're done. We're tired. Find me an M-class planet and let's just land. And well, just something on there sparks that that hope again. Well, it's, it's again, that's a great hook, right? Like, you, you end season four of, no, here's good enough. Yeah. And everyone's fine with it. You leave one character with some wanderlust. Hell, you make it Paris. You leave them like... Well, yeah, if anybody's going to be like, but I actually still want to explore. Like, right? I like have, I've got an idea. We can make this work. That's too risky, but we can make it work. But it's too risky, and here's fine, and everyone votes him down, and you end season three with him poking at an engine and looking up. Well, especially if he's still deranged, semi-criminal Tom Paris. Like, everybody's telling him, no, don't do it. Here is good enough. And it's, but I, it's no longer about getting home strictly. It's proving them wrong. Yeah. It's, I know I can do this. So he goes wide-eyed again. They assume all the crew tension is gone. Like, the Starfleet and the Maquis are getting along fine. Everybody's okay. Well, Tom's retooling the engine. And then next season starts, maybe two episodes in, he goes, by the way, I made it work. Well, and that's it. Like, that's it. It's, you have Species 8472. Like, the big bad that is unique to Voyager. Which I liked. Well, no. Like, the, the universe premise was really intriguing. The idea of a universe that is much smaller and composed solely of liquid is interesting. Well, that's it. Like, this idea of a universe wherein the quantum rules just make it tight. But this idea of, no, these are the alienist, big baddiest guys for our show. And, oh, here's... They're going to kick us off the planet we decided was good enough. Everyone said, hey, we can live out our time here because it's temperate, food's plentiful. We just got to roll it out. We'll make sure everything's archived if anyone finds us, but we're done. We know we can't do better than this. And then Tom is the mad hoper and dreamer and 8472 invades them and wrecks all their shit and... Tom gets his mad hoping and dreaming idea running and it jumps them almost to alpha. Yeah. Like this clears, this clears decades. Like he, he was right, but the ship took damage in the evac and it can't proceed. Yeah. Like the ship is just shaken to bits. You're close enough now that you can launch a probe and maybe hear back within a decade. And that's a massive improvement. But you're also on the run from these things now, too. Yeah, they're bitter and vindictive for bitter and vindictive reasons. And that's television. Well, hell, and you've got you know what? There. Like you've got because you run half of the crew and you make it because, again, you bring back the Starfleet Maquis conflict well, in that moment. And it's a mix of Starfleet Maquis going, no, this is our home. We stay and we fight. And the rest of them going, this isn't our home. This is what we settled for. Yeah. It's, is it worth dying here for? And people going, yes. There's your conflict element. Tom tells them, hey, I can give the engine a swift kick in the sack. And maybe we can get far enough away for it to matter. Some people stay. Some people go. That's how you write characters out. That's how you introduce new ones. Especially if you do a small time skip and we have kids, which nobody fucking had. Well, no. Well, Tom and Torres had a kid. And I guess that brings us to fucking Torres on the cast. So she could have been good. So Torres is a flunked out Starfleet engineer who cannot, who literally cannot identify 
excrement without benefit of a tricorder. Yeah. And the ship is so hard up, she's in charge of a warp core now. And it's just a quick on this. So the Voyager is a highly experimental ship. Like cutting edge, first of its class. Interesting ideas implemented for the sake of implementing interesting ideas. Yeah. This is, they're going to let her run around all over into weird scenarios so that we can see which of these technologies is viable. It's, it's a prototype ship. As much as the engine allowed it to jump to the Delta Quadrant, air quotes because it was actually something else doing that, but they didn't know that at first, mm-hmm. I, it was intended to kind of work that way. It's, it's phaser banks were supposed to be an improvement. The ships were supposed to be an improvement. The ablative hull was supposed to be a neat well, improvement. Like well, there, was, there was experimental tech all over this, but this it thing was, was probably never going to leave the Beta Quadrant. It was all things that were kind of slated for the Defiant and kind of slated for the next gen of whatever was supposed to place, replace the Galaxy class. Well, yeah, it'd basically be the step, because it was technically built out of a sovereign concept, so it would be presumably whatever, like, its prototyping will be whatever legitimately follows the sovereign into the field, so whatever the F would be, right? Yeah, like it is, the Defiant meets the Enterprise, but small and just for wandering around. Like if, if this fails entirely, we've got a cr- a class that can s- we've got a class of ship that can stare at nebulas. Well, if it fails entirely, you at least learn something from the prototype's failure too. Like you're you're hot modding so much tech yeah. in here that you're looking at it and you're like, okay, what can I do with this? What can I test run? And she's here. She's and no fault to her per se. But she's not equipped for this. Like, who are you going to drop in here? LaFour? Like, Jordy would have been great. But Jordy, you know, still has commission on the Enterprise. You could have introduced a better chief engineer or developed her into it. Like, there's... Her biggest claim to fame most of the time is being not quite a Klingon. Because, well, she's partially Klingon. And I mean, that's kind of interesting. But they do about as much with that as they do with Tuvok being a Vulcan. Well, doesn't really matter. There is exactly, exactly one good Torres episode, and it is one epi- and it is a wharf episode that they could not fit onto Deep Space Nine. And I'm not talking. Oh, this was a weird idea that maybe almost happened. No, it is literally a script that got. Couldn't fit into vo- into Deep Space Nine. It couldn't fit because there were just... Too much going on. Too much going on. Couldn't quite make it click. Couldn't get the budget for it. Which so, is kind of funny when you consider how many Klingon-centric episodes were showing up by that point in the series. Yeah, like this is it. It's This could have gone in in the same... As, a, as opposed to the episode where Jadzia and those three commanders from TOS... Just go on that last damn raid. Yeah, but that was fun. Well, it's too good an episode to let go. And this episode where Worf is like, no, my parents aren't in the afterlife because of me. Is, yeah, maybe you let that slide. So finally, the team on Deep Space Nine finishes their show ably. And some of them are like, hey, can we work on this show? This show seems like you could use a hand or six. Well, it's a Star Trek. We know how to write a Star Trek, we think. And so, hey, I've got an episode about the Klingon afterlife. 
Let's scrape some details off Worf yep. and put Torres in it. And it doesn't fucking help Torres. No. And it feels like a Worf episode that is shit. Maybe because they scraped too much Worf off of it. Well, it's like Balana, Because you look at the elements right at the beginning. Like you've got... At, at the surface level, you've got the journey home. So all of the conflict that is inherent with that premise. We need to get back. We are somewhere unfamiliar and dangerous. We need to go back to familiar. So you've got the fear element right there. You have Starfleet v. Maki right there. So you've got who do we trust? How do we trust them? Can we trust them on both sides? Then you've got Balana. She's half Klingon, right? Half. Yeah, it's her daughter that is a quarter Klingon, and that matters because she becomes the hybrid base to fix their mutation and the the game is weird but yeah but it's like either you, way it reconciles you know the toss look versus the tng look until discovery comes out yeah so you've got torres there and torres could just be another baseline conflict point because i'm sorry there are members of the federation and this is established through Worf directly who are still not comfortable working with klingons well especially like, in a scenario where a quarter of the Federation is Vulcan, who have much firmer memories of what the war with the Klingons was, who have deeper, logically based yeah. racial prejudice. Racial prejudice against Klingons. Yeah. So you have Torres, who, you know what? Never fit in at the Academy because she was never made to feel welcome, who could have been a great officer if she could have had the right mentorship to get her temper down, who, you know, gets assigned to a shitty backwater, you know, a shitty backwater installation that gets sold to the Cardassians for the sake of a piece for peace's sake. Yeah, so she's got an axe or two to grind. So she's got nine axes grinding. And, well, a Torres episode is about her not being able to get fucked yeah. Or not being able to fix a thing. Yeah. And so the one episode that isn't about fucking or fixing is, is a good one. Is a wharf episode. Yeah. But it's like, do show that and have her succeed, right? Like she's sitting here, another on the element of crossroad conflict points that are just baked right into the series concept. And she goes, no, fuck you. I can do this. It's like, you know what? Yeah. I fully admit I can't keep a Constellation class running to save my life. I can't because I did all my reading in weird new tech. However, I know, however, this is weird new tech. I know exactly what that does. And it's like, yeah, yeah, this is what I should have been doing. Yeah. Like, if I, in a better scenario, I'd have been a, I'd have been at a dry dock. I'd have probably been assigned the, to this ship if things had gone right. They didn't. I'm here anyway. Well, what do we do? Well, first off, you're not even strong enough to do this. And I am. I'm, I'm straight up beefy enough to keep, to move all the parts into place. Why is that an element that's constantly neglected? She is physically stronger and tougher than most of the crew. And you know what? It'd be nice if they'd let her drop kick a guy. Yeah. Just periodically when the show gets violent and... You know, I guess the squibs blow up to no effect for anyone. Yeah. She just is like, fuck it. Drops a guy. Yeah. Like, run with it. And I mean, it's loosely referenced once her and Paris are together and you get those periodic towards their sex life that she is still Klingon in the bedroom, as it were. 
But the rest of the time, it's just, oh, well, you know, she's she's no different than a human. And it's like, no, no, Klingons are much stronger than humans. And even with that being semi-diluted due to the fact that our genomes can apparently breed together, it should still be present. Not yeah. at the same level, but still stronger than your average human. So, <sighs> Torres, another failure premise. Who's, who's next on our fucking list? Uh, I, I can think of three. I don't know which one I want. Do we want to go Neelix? Okay. I guess Neelix is the last one on our list that is part of the main team from Jump. Hardcore Fenton Mud. No. Yes. No. Would have been a better character. Okay. If Here's the thing. A world in which, let's say the writers were like, hey, there's all sorts of crazy negative space wedgies. They find mud. <laughs> no, like, admittedly, he's the actor who played him is dead. No, but that can, actor, that actor's dead. But no. Put somebody else in there. Who cares? Time travel is funny. Like, no, negative space wedgie happens and you find the preserved in stasis body and consciousness of mud. Another get rich quick scheme that involves pissing off an ex-wife and possibly sex slave robots. And his escape method is pod what gets trapped in time. That not only is that perfect for mud, that is a mud episode. <laughs> this is a mud episode. Hell, even if he's not part of the core cast, a version where there's no Neelix, but one good mud episode yeah. is way a better, is a better Voyager than we're ever going to get. Plus, if they just let him go and then have to bump into him every once in a while, he's trying to sell them a new warp core or some shit. They're like, how are how do you keep finding suckers? How? Like, we let Well, you... and, and it's just the smile, the shrug, twirl of the mustache. What are you? <laughs> what are you? So, so... Neelix is a junk dealer in the butt end of nowhere. And, and the chef. Well, no, the chef comes later. Yeah, but he still claims he is one. Yeah, never mind his lack of ability to adapt to ingredients ever. No. But this idea that, okay, we found a guy and he's the local and there's a reason to keep him around because, well, nobody hates him. Are you sure on that? Well, that's it. Because, hell, making people hate him is a better character premise. Like, yeah. he's the local, oh yeah, it's great. Oh, so where are you guys from? Oh, you're from the Beta Quadrant? Oh, that's really cool. You know, I'm going to show you around. Everybody loves me. You, well, I'm, I'm going to open doors for you guys. It'll be great. We'll be going. We'll be checking out places. I got deals all over the place. I guarantee I can get you home. How long do you need? What? How, I'm not sure how far away that is. 70 years? Wow. What, what's a year? It's Is that long? Is that short? I don't know. Like, Universal Translator is good, but... But it still uses can, can, words. Can can we break down the math on the, me for that? Oh, 400 decafeeds? Shit. Man, a lot. All right. Um, oh, geez. I'm, that, sure I, I'm sure I know somebody who can sell a Guga that'll get you there in half the time. We just, we just, we can't go there. Can't go to that one. It's not that they don't like me. They're not going to respond well to you. The, the color, it's not, it's not, see, the, the orange and the purple that I wear, it means friend. It means friend. friend. Really, it does. But this haircut, a ceremonial friendship haircut. This means everybody loves me. You know, this is, it's, it's the universal greeting. Ba, we've grown, <laughs> ah, we've ninny, ba. Dare and, to be stupid. Yep, and of course, then 
you meet literally any other locals and they're like, it's that son of a bitch! Nuke him! And literally, it's yeah. nuke him. It's not, like, they, they, so, Tuvok pipes up, it's like, this race has access to something like a photon torpedo, but they are launching fission weapons. Because yeah. <laughs> they, Captain, well, should we raise shields? It's, yes? I mean, yes. Why? Oh, the, oh you well, know what it is? It's your universal translator. It didn't send it through properly. Here, let me have a look at it. And again, it keeps coming around to they want anyone next to this guy to hurt. Yeah. But unfortunately... No, we don't get that. We don't, we don't get, get the comedy that comes out of that. We don't get a savvy writer's group. They just keep insisting that Neelix is a good character and we will like him. And no matter how much television has the capacity to pivot away from bad ideas, especially in a show that is not syndication first, but written for syndication. Yeah. So episode to episode doesn't matter much. The idea that at the end of season two, a character no one likes just goes away. It never fucking happens. It never fucking happens. Neelix doesn't leave the show till four episodes short of the finale. And Tuvok dances. A Vulcan dances to celebrate the end of the worst character in Star Trek. Now, short of Archer. I, I will take a quick aside to re-cement a comment that we had at the beginning. None of this is against the actor. Oh, no. Ethan Phillips has gotten too much flack. Yeah. And I'm glad he's getting theater work because God help him if he tried to do TV again. Well, he's actually funny. That's the problem. Well, that, that's the stupid thing. That's part of the stupid of Voyager is that they knew Ethan Phillips was talented. They knew he was funny. They knew he was better than what they handed him. And unlike Picardo, he didn't give enough of his shit to force their hand on it. Well, he didn't want to take the time to fix a bad script. And I don't blame him because picking a fight with the writer's room is how you get worse scripts. I'm sadly looking at you, Kate. Sorry, Kate. (sighs) But the character never gets to get better. Like, his fucking wife leaves the show and that doesn't change his character. She goes crazy and evil. And eats a person. Yeah, like, like she goes full Dark Phoenix and his character remains completely the same. And so the only way that works is if this is a terrifying coping mechanism. And that would be great. Like if you reveal like say fourth season, just after the Tuvix thing, you get a bit where Tuvok walks in and goes, we need to talk. And he's like, oh, why? I'm just about ready to cook dinner. He's like, no, 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 no. I, I know. I remember everything you remember. I know the decisions you've made. Why are you pretending making pizza is good for you. And you either have Neelix get very angry, so you you let Ethan really show off range, or he just collapses in tears and just that no, I want peel, right? No, I want him shrieking and raging yeah. and just throwing, and then he collapses, yeah. and, and there's Tuvok. And that's just a good... The base entry concept is a good Star Trek episode because it's really just two characters in a bottle episode because you just sit them in the kitchen and they just talk. And it's, here's who Neelix actually is. Let's open the box. 
works. Let's just crack that facade all the way out. And all of a sudden, he's good. And he doesn't show up for four more seasons of trash. And you know what? If you want to take the character from there, and even just the next episode, you know, he's cooking, but he's not as full of himself. He's not trying to make jokes or anything. He just he's seems not, quiet. He's right? not pretending to hum. Yeah. He's just like, hey, how's everything? Are you all right? And everybody, like, have Janeway pull him aside a couple episodes later and be like, is everything okay? And he's like, for the first time in a while? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Maybe. Almost. I'm getting there, at least. Better than yesterday. How about that? And that's, like, there, there's your throughput for, like, a season, season and yeah, a half. It's just a year where he's on the quiet and it's someone asks him and it's like, how you doing? Better than yesterday. Yeah. And it's just, you've got this low-grade subplot of him and Tuvok trying to address their respective issues and developing into complex characters. But no, Neelix is exactly what you see. Every time, always, the writers hate him, the audience hates him, and yet he persists in a medium that can do better a medium that Easily. can fix these problems. Like a movie character who runs into this kind of flat, bland writing. Well, I come it's harder to resolve because if you don't catch it in the first film, you may not get a sequel. And if you do get a sequel, you kind of have to write them the same because whoever greenlit that sequel write with Well, that's it. I come back to Jar Jar Banks, right? Like the world hated Jar Jar Banks, and he very quickly disappeared from Star Wars. Yeah. Neelix was on every week for seven years so here we are a shit sandwich that no one wants to address and it goes on for days so Kess, we've kind of already talked about her she, yeah she was a telepath it didn't matter she wasn't respond like the audience didn't respond well to her it didn't matter they made they shuttled her off brought her back evil she murdered. It didn't matter. Yeah, like it's, she's not relevant. Like, like she's a named character with an actress who got real credit and real scale, and it didn't matter. Yeah, no, because they didn't know how to write her character. So the the doctor. Okay, so the idea that Voyager is so strapped for personnel that the emergency backup doctor has to be left on all the time. Well, their CMO is. Dead as a result of the incident. Well, that's it. Like, no, the idea that shit has gone so wrong, you need to keep the emergency backup doctor running all the time. And, and uh, because he's an AI, he's an AI subroutine, he grows up. Yeah, and he's, originally he's, he's intended really as a nurse. Well, that's it. It's, the, the, the Voyager is small. Like, this, so is, this is WebMD with hands. Yeah, that's it. it. It's super small, so you tell me that the goal of the EMH is really to have two or three of these just to assist in surgery and assist in people's recovery. Yeah. And the actual doctor shows up when things matter is a pretty good setup. It, like, and th- it works, right? Like, somebody comes in with a mild burn from engineering, it's, oh, okay, well, you spray it. Yeah, here's the hollow. There's your spray. Have a good day. Somebody comes in and they're having a bad time, and it's like, okay, generate the hologram just so we can have somebody to talk to for a minute. I've oh wow, this is extensive surgery, but it's not severe. I don't actually need a real nurse. I just need somebody to hand me tools while I'm working. So pop up three holograms. Great. Just 
You, One of them runs the anesthetic rig. Yeah, you know what this surgery is. You can access it through files, so you should almost know what tools I need before I need them. Yeah, and the idea that that basic AI is now running everything and is now forced to grow up, that's pretty Star Trek. And, and Robert Picardo sells it. Sells it, cares, shows up every day, and wants more. Yeah. So when the writers decide that oh, we don't know what to do with you anymore because you've already moved past it. Uh... Well, but the thing is, some of the Doctor-centric episodes are great. Like the reveal that the Zimmer holograms are just like waste maintenance engineers in some fuck shitter of an asteroid field. That's a Deep Space Nine episode. No, but didn't the Doctor know about that? Yeah, he learns about but it. But no, that's what I mean. Like it's... They pull him in for DS9, work that episode, and he learns about that, and that motivates his character development. Because yeah. he doesn't like that. That's interesting. That's intriguing. That's a good use of that character. That gives the character breadth and growth. And I think he might be the only one who actually gets that. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Robert Picardo, by virtue of being too good at his job and not pissing off the writers like Mulgrew did, yeah. gets to have the fullest experience of Voyager over seven fucking years. Yeah. Hell, over seven of nine, who goes through a similar but somehow much weaker character arc. Well, it's... So, Robert Picardo steps on all the Data episodes they couldn't do yeah. in Next Gen by virtue of being too good and the writer's not interested in recapping the first five years of Data episodes. So they run out of data episodes for him fairly fast. They're out of Kess. So let's add more Borg, another Voyager problem. So let's just have Seven learn what it means to be human every four weeks. Which, honestly, the Doctor should have looked at her drive subroutines because there was clearly a memory fault there. Oh, yeah. Like, like her RAM is shit. Like, that's literally it. It's like, oh, God. So you are an actual teenage girl. If I tweak your RAM, you'll be able to remember that, access that, and be a person inside of a month. Let's do that. Yeah. No. It's like, no, no, no. We, we can't have that. Instead, she's going to spend the entire thing in a cat suit going, I sort of remember what it means to be human. Hey, Chakotay. Well, there's no chemistry between the two of us. And it's like, of course there isn't. And again, the cat suit hurts. Because I get that UPN has no content that lasts more than a year other than Star Trek Voyager and professional wrestling. Yeah. But you could have put her in an equally tight Starfleet outfit. Why doesn't she ever wear a Starfleet outfit? Does, does that come up? Did I miss that episode? No, it never comes up. It's literally like this vestigial, oh, we have wedge issues in the crew thing. So... So uh, all the Maquis can wear Starfleet uniforms, but you're a Borg. Everybody's nervous about you, what with you being Borgy and all. And okay, no, you know what? Again, we have play up the fucking racial tensions. Like, like, yeah, you know what? Have Tuvok and Torres not get along. Have some of the Maquis get along with her, some of them don't. Some of the Starfleet do, some of them don't. And have everybody be right nervous around seven, except like the doctor. And Janeway and everybody else is absolutely fucking gun shy because, like, well, 
she's a board because not everybody's going to have access to the files that inform you that that can actually be fixed. Well, hell, you make all the Starfleet guys and even half the Maquis guys be like, I had family at 359. Yeah, I was at 359. I had friends at 359. I had family at 359. I had an arm at the beginning of 359. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you're, again, if this is the show where everyone's not easy with each other, there you go. And, you know, you do that, and periodically you do have her just kind of snap back, like, break through the Borg emotionlessness, and she just snaps out with, yeah, and I was human once. And I was a 12-year-old girl. I've been here since I was a 12-year-old girl. Yeah, I had organs. I think they were great. You know, you know, you know when I you rem- stop breathing and concentrate, you can hear a heartbeat. You can kind of feel it in your chest. You know that? I have a big memory of that. You know what I don't have anymore? That. Hell. And yeah. Like, hell, have her make an observation like that about the utter inhumanity of being a Borg. Because yeah, they can fix most of it. They kind of gloss over the fact that Picard had a mechanical heart in the first place. Yeah. Like, it's just, they lacutus him up, and then he's unlacutus and everything is fine. And it's like, but but the Borg mimic and replace technology, and he had a mechanical heart. They would have they, they would have souped that up. Yeah, that thing would be tweaked to the fucking tits. So so did you just replace it with the Starfleet issue one again? If so, that's perfectly fucking Well, that's fair, right? Yeah. Like, when you're pulling him apart, and it's like, oh shit, his fake heart is now a turbocharged Borg heart. Let's put in the same heart we put in last yeah, time. Yeah, we got spared. But... In her case, it'd be like, there's got to be certain organs that the Borg would have just deemed completely redundant. Again, so much of Seven is about people who want to date her. Bring up the fact she don't have a uterus. Yeah. Hell, like, just just address that, right? Like, it's like, hell, bring up the fact that she was once a 12-year-old girl. And they're sitting there going, well, you know, she's pretty attractive. And she's like, mentally, I am still principally a 12-year-old girl. Well, like, I have grown and matured. But my memories of being a human being, not a roving, murderous automaton, are prepubescent child. So maybe you should back the fuck off. Yeah. And hell, you know what? That's a great moment for Janeway to get to fill in as both captain and, if you want to soften up her character a bit, let her take something of a mother role. Well, if you were going to remind the audience that she is female, because the show doesn't. Well, you know, but, I don't even, I use mother there and that's, that's my slide. Literally, if, even if she was a male captain and it's, do you realize what she's gone through? But yeah, no, this idea that. Soften her up by making her a protector, right? Just, just add that element of the character to her. And again, you have a reason for Janeway and Seven to be in the same room, which never happens. Yeah. It never fucking happens. <sighs> Well, since we're sort of on a Borg tangent. So, well, so the Borg are a great TNG villain. Because they show up nine and a half times, and then they get their big send-up in the big fucking movie. Oh, and the, well, the movie is unquestionably the best TNG movie. Second best Trek movie, even. Yup. And part of the reason they're so damned good is because they're unstoppable. They are everything the Federation isn't. The Federation, you know, exalts diversity. The Borg annihilates it. Doesn't even oppose it. Utterly removes it. Whatever autonomy, whatever agency you had, whatever nationality or loyalty 
or race or gender or ability. Everything that makes you different from the person sitting next to you. Well, that just serves the collective or gets cut out. Yeah, and 90% of the time, it just gets cut out because if it's not technology, they don't want it. Yeah. I And, again, totally unstoppable. One cube did 359. One fucking cube. So in Voyager, they're the monster of the week and they get demolished and their, hand, their ass handed to them like every third fight. And I'd and be fine if that was crazy Voyager prototype. It, it, again, it's just this particular brand of idiosyncratic losers and loonies keeps them moving. Yeah. And that doesn't matter if the threat's Borg. It doesn't matter if it's Ferengi that got sucked into a wormhole. It doesn't matter if it's crazy liquid aliens from the future. These guys, just through luck, happenstance, these guys are the worst possible Starfleet crew unless you leave them in the middle of nowhere. They're the bad news bears in space. Yeah. Hell, I'd love the bad news bears in space. I realize that's the premise to the Orville, and the Orville seems to be a show that is growing up into be into being a delightful, lighthearted sci-fi series, as opposed to this weird amalgam of Family Guy and Star Trek parody. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, the I mean, Borg you know, as this thing that was TNG show. And, and I, I have a escalating your villain. I do I get I'm a Dragon Ball fan. I get that. But I come back to I have a friend of a friend who, you know, at the dear old age of eleven went to his very first Star Trek con and sat down right in the front of the panel with Freights and he said, Hey, he got up and stood in line for his questions. Hey, what do you think if the if the Borg showed up at D Space Nine and Freaks just smiles and says, "Well, that'd be a goddamn shame because they're our villain, and I don't know what we'd do without them." And here we have Voyager. First off, I like that. Second off, the answer is they would cut DS Nine in half with the Borg cutting laser, and everyone would fucking die. Yeah. Well, <laughs> except for O'Brien, because yeah. he'd have it figured. He'd. Managed to fuse it back together, fold it into the wormhole, and the cube would be like, that's full of space god aliens? Can we assimilate a wormhole? Let's try. And then yeah. they'd probably just wind up, well, the board would wind up fighting the Dominion, and I know where my money is in that fight. Yeah. But, the same place it always But But again, I come back to Voyager runs out of shit to do on its own. So of course they bring back the board. Yeah. But, and you know what? If they had stated, like, first encounter with the Borg, the ship suddenly kind of takes over on autopilot, starts doing a bunch of crazy shit. They don't know what's going on, and it turns out, like, three of the engineers who were working on this thing were deathly afraid of the Borg. Well, not even that. It's, again, this thing's half-defiant, so the defiant half kicks in. Yeah, and it's just, okay, no, we have combat protocols designed as concept to fight these things. Well, what do we do? We try them. Because, have you ever seen the records? You know what the records indicate? I was at 359. I had an arm at 359. <laughs> that, right there, you just need a 359 vet. Yeah, you just need help. You know what? There's no reason for Harry Kim not to be disabled. Yeah. So you just say, you know, I had both my legs at 359. They were nice. I miss my legs. <laughs> Why? Well, it was... Just, they were nice. You know, I didn't have to worry about updating my firmware yeah. on my fucking legs. It was 
you have any idea how hard it is to find a USB port on these fucking things? They put it on the inside of my kneecaps. Yeah, like this is this is awkward. And it's not I can't go anywhere. Like it's I have to take a day. Those sick days that I take are a firmware update. Really? We just we just assumed you were lazy. Fuck you! <sighs> but yeah, no, the Borg, which are again this unstoppable existential threat in TNG, are irrelevant. Yeah, they don't matter. Like they're they're bigger, they're more elaborate. There's multiple Borg queens. They have this grand space network that can just get them wherever they need to go, despite the fact that... You can negotiate with them yeah. somehow, sometimes, but only if there's weird liquid aliens. Only if there's something else they see as a threat, even though that's not the Borg principle in any way, shape, or form. Well, there's nothing about the Borg that says anything is actually threatening to them. Yeah. I. They Hell, part of the reason they wanted to... Part of the reason they were fighting the Enterprise, but not trying to just straight up kill it, was because initially it had advanced enough technology they wanted to assimilate. Well, but well, between the Enterprise and Picard, yeah. what isn't there you need from humanity? What what do you need from humanity other than Jean-Luc Picard and the Enterprise? Hell, that's even Q's point, right? Yeah. You're everything humanity has to offer. What have you done to earn it? Yeah. And fuck, like you are the supposed Q to be the best. fucking show up on Voyager. Okay, so first, again, the, the actor, Q. not the writing. John Delancey is still great in the role. Well, John Delancey is wonderful as Q. Yeah. Just, John Delancey is the delight. Period. Period. He's, he's fun and everything. He shows up in StarCraft II. He is evil. It is great. Like, he is evil, evil, leader of a murderous version of, oh my God, Protoss. There we go. Yeah. I am tired. But yeah, like an evil version of the Protoss. They're all crazy murderers. It's wonderful. He's great. But, you know... We need to have a baby. I'm going to give you my kid. We need to reenact the Civil War. Why? Like, I understand you're looking at it and you're like, nobody's ca nobody's really gravitating to Voyager. What do we do? Let's steal TNG elements. Let's not. Let's make it stand on its own. That was why the first two seasons of TNG were bad. Because he kept stealing toss elements. Well, and okay, we come to the last character on Voyager. The holodeck. Which is incompatible with every other system on Voyager, has its own power source, and can't be turned off unless under really specific circumstances. It's a new experimental holodeck made out of bullshitium. Yeah, it is, it is a series of problems that exist only to be solved by... The plot, Irish. Yeah, plot contrivances that shouldn't fucking matter. So... Fuck Fairhaven and fuck the second Fairhaven episode. Because I come back to, I think I've told this story before when we introduced the TNG episode, is that I, out of habit, before a convention, will just check into my hotel room, throw my gear down, lay out my clothes for the day. If I have a costume, I'll set that up. But I will set that up. I will turn on the space channel because it's basic cable. So it's in every hotel room on the planet. You know? And when I turn on the space channel, you know what I get? The worst possible episode of Star Trek. Doesn't matter what series, doesn't matter what time of day. It What matters is that I have turned on the space channel in a hotel room and you know what's on? Oh, the worst possible episode. Nope. Spock's brain, whatever. So I've seen Fairhaven and whatever the title of the sequel to Fairhaven is. Fairhaven 2, The Suckening? The Suckening. 
the episode where they where the hologram villagers assume the player characters are fairies. Yeah, I've seen those two episodes like nine fucking times. I'm pretty sure that's a war crime. Yeah, like I'm I'm pretty sure if you go to the UN, you can get the writer sentenced to the head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is somehow a hate crime against the Irish because. Well, it is. Star Trek is perfectly willing to commit hate crimes against the Irish. Like, I don't know if Star Trek doesn't air in Ireland or what. Well, I I come back to Cole Meany fighting so hard to keep leprechauns out of the aliens assume human imagination matters episode of Deep Space Nine because fuck you, I was in the long ladder. And we should have a different fairy tale character. Well, what, what do we know about the Irish? We know they fear leprechauns. We also know they have an extended mythos about the Fae, which are genuinely terrifying and horrible creatures. Yeah, but we know about leprechauns. I will, I will drown you slowly in Protestant whiskey. Yeah. The that, worst kind of Irish whiskey. Well, I, I have to put that qualifier there because there is much worse whiskey. Well, I come back to. I don't, I'm watching, I'm watching The Wire now, and someone offers uh, McNulty a Bushmills, and like the top shelf Bushmills, and he's, he just says, that's Protestant whiskey. Like a good Irish Catholic should. Like an Irish Catholic should. And I'm like, suddenly I realized, oh shit, the division on the Troubles hit whiskey too. Yep. Oh my god, that's not a thing I realized, and I'm glad I know about it, because that's real and honest, and I love it. But anyway, the holodeck doesn't work ever any time. They abuse it for the stupidest possible escapes, and well, fuck Fairhaven, and fuck the idea that Janeway can be realistically in love with her- A computer program? Her, her computer waifu, man- but still be able to completely rewrite him first. So, well, thinking about the the universal trouble that is Fairhaven, and coming back to our idea where they just give up. Yeah. That'd well, be uh, a way to do it. Like, you know what? Well, a Voyager episode with a holodeck, they've given up. Well, it's just, no, throw out the, throw out the holodeck principle of it. They're looking for an M-class planet. They find an M-class planet with life on it already. And it's more than life. They're detecting a mild warp signature. They're, what they're, the fuck? They, so, they, they can bounce one system over on the resources they have. So they land there, and they have a look. And what it is, it's, you know, whatever the fuck the doodad caller thing was at the beginning of the first episode that pulls them into the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. Um, it had tried previously. And this group of settlers, don't have to be fucking Irish, <laughs> are just starfleet officers from like 200 years long gone like they're reasonably they're not the original officers these are their descendants who've grown up here kind of piecing shit together out of what's left of their old ship out of the old shuttlecraft local materials well that's it you like tell me the 18th century living because well, it's 24th century technology well they're they're living in stone houses and candlelight and firelight for the most part but you know what? They've got a food replicator running. The water purifiers are great. Yeah. It's it's everything they could need except for building materials. And that was a choice, right? They're looking at it and like, well, we could strip the ship for it, but if we strip the wrong part, we lose the operational tech here. So fuck it, we'll use the land. So it's so it's a village built into the side of the mountain 
that is where they crashed. It's the nacelles are sticking up at weird angles and a bunch of little bubbles made out of rocks. Yeah. And, you know, then then you have your goofy-ass love story. And, you know, the guy that she falls for is the line descendant of the captain because that's the way they've been maintaining leadership because it's just kind of worked out well for them. You run it as the village is about 150 people, which is, you know, maximum human social circle, so nobody really disagrees with it. And then when, you know, fucking species arrives, some of the people, like, they're, they're getting along. Again, you do like a year or two time skip where everything's kind of okay. The species arrives and they're like, no, this is our home. This matters to us. Like, we've, we've I, never been anywhere I've else. had a kid here. Like, my family has survived here. No, but your home is Earth. No, it isn't. I've never been to Earth. My family came from Earth. They're Brazilian. I don't, I don't know what that means. Yeah, I can look it up in the computer. I understand what Brazil looks like. I understand that we have a music. I can't play that music. And you're telling me to leave this all behind. Rather than fight for it against these. Well, you don't stand a chance at winning. Okay. What's your point? Then have a chance here. Yeah, and we made it work then. I, like, that's an interesting episode. That calls in a bit of conflict. And, plus, it's a little bit of a fuck you to the constant invocation of the Prime Directive because they are a warp-capable species. They just aren't at the moment. They, they just can't. And so here we are at the end of, I think, the characters you can encounter in Voyager... Because like, technically we've missed Brad Dorif, but he was only in for three episodes and he dies. Well, and that's I just it. Like there's, no, the actor. there's no recurring characters of beyond beyond the space Nazi lizards, right? Yeah. Whose tech is more compatible with Voyager's holodeck than anything on Voyager. But anyway, space Nazi lizards, they're a shit episode anyhow. Long list. But well, oh God. Okay. We're at the end of the characters and I think if we did every shit episode of Voyager, we'd be here for another two hours. Yeah. But I want to hold out, I want to highlight the worst episode of Star Trek. So, so Tom Paris is so good at everything, he invents a shuttle that's a double shuttle that can go warp 11, which means he exists everywhere in the universe at once and at all times of the universe at once. So he's fixed the Voyager's problems, except for the fact that apparently humans evolved from salamanders. So that when the shielding, the shielding, the shielding on the shuttle that runs on rainbows. Yeah, (laughs) runs on magical bullshit, like QGs and Twinkies. I don't fucking know. Yeah. So the, the shuttle that runs on rainbows goes too fast. He turns into a salamander and turns Janeway into a salamander. And they have salamander makeouts and spawn more salamanders because this is a perfectly good episode of television. Well, well what if instead of them evolving, they de-evolved? And what, like, what if time is cyclical and that's why they went too far forward in time and went back and became lizards? That was the writer's fucking explanation for the goddamned episode. If I find him, I'm going to beat him with a bike chain. I may or I may not. We'll we'll see. It's I don't tend to carry bike chains on me. Well, 
Oh God. If if you walk into a bike shop and say I need a bike chain, they're gonna ask you what kind. And if you don't know what kind, they know you want to buy it for beating purposes. And not because you're trying to fix a 10 speed. If I walk into a bike shop and I ask for a bike chain and they go, what kind? And I respond with to beat one of the writers from Voyager. Okay, they're gonna know you you mean business. Yeah. Like there there's also a fair chance that they're going to sell me that bike chain. Yeah. So anyway, the problem with Star Trek Voyager is that the writers just fell back on bullshit. Like, not even, they fell back on their habits from next gen. No, they, they fell just, back on the worst version of their habits from next gen. They just hand-waved everything. Like, TOS, TNG, DS9, they always tried to kind of explain the weird things. Like, well, they didn't do weird shit unless it was good for a character or a cool idea. Yeah, well, like... So, but when Voyager happens, it's... Well, magic. We, we gotta do something this week, so let's turn someone into a lizard. And then, well, we can't have anything change next week, so they fix the lizard <laughs> problem. They're unlizarded. They're unlizarded, but not in a way that validates the thing that turned them into a lizard. No. Because then we'd have to explain that they're actually close to home. And that brings us to... The best character in Star Trek Voyager, Reg Barkley. Yes. Reg Barkley, who you might recall from a few rather good episodes of TNG as a guy who is is red terrified, justifiably, of literally everything. He's the guy who has read the mission briefing document and realized that, oh, if anything goes wrong, I'm doomed. (laughs) I'm not, I am not taking a transporter. Why? Because there are things in transporters. Reg, you're just seeing shit. And then Reg used a transporter, and there was a thing in it, and it fucking bit him, and it turned him into a spider. So so Reg, rightfully, after his tour on the Enterprise, got a desk job. Took a desk job. A perfectly sensible desk job that played to his existing abilities. Something that almost never happens to anyone under the rank of lieutenant in Star Trek. He cashed out. Ensign Ricky got out with his golden parachute. Yup. And he's like, I like this Voyager thing. I'm going to find out what happened. So, and he's sitting there saying, you know what? This Voyager thing might have made it. I'm going to follow up on that. Like he, again, Picard has rubbed off on him. He has learned something from his time on the Enterprise, and he says, I can explore safe. I can explore space safely from the confines of my office, deep underground, far away from everything, including the core of a planet and anything else. I never have to use a transporter to get anywhere. Every wall is firmly secured. The air is recycled, but in a very specific way that won't kill me. But I can explore space from here. I can help people. I can do better for human understanding. And this Voyager program might have made it. So I'm going to figure it out. And he figures it out. And it's like, if they still exist, I we should be able to talk to them. I'm going to figure out how to do that. Yep. And then he does. And he helps them get home. And we flash forward to him and his dotage. And you know what he can do? He can talk to a bunch of people at the same time even. He's grown beyond who he was in that first time he showed up. Yep. Reg Barkley has exhibited character growth from the start of Voyager 
to the ended Voyager in a way that no one, nobody in the actual cast has, which makes Reg Barkley the best character in Voyager, and I'm gonna say third best in Star Trek overall. He he definitely is up there because he gets a character arc and has diseases named after. Yes. Like, there's the Picard maneuver, yep. but there's no Picard syndrome. Yeah. no, Nobody is sitting there going, well, if I take this transporter, you know, I'm going to get Kirk syndrome. Nobody calls the whole evil, good duplication problem that. That's just a transporter accident. But if you get turned into a spider That's or a fish or some sort of ape man or a lizard, but you still have kittens, well, that's Barkley regressive syndrome. If you get turned into all of them, that's probably still Barkley regressive syndrome. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Like anything that goes wrong with your genetics and transport it, it's Barkley regressives. Now, I hate Fairhaven. I fuck Fairhaven. Yeah, fuck Fairhaven. But there is an episode that I hate laterally from Fairhaven. Oh. Year of Hell. Okay, so you're so I was trying to leave us off on the highlight that is Reg Barkley, good guy. Yeah, and but, we can come back to that right before the end because it's Reg and he's still great. Yeah, no matter what, Reg, yeah. what happens, Reg, he's a good guy. So I'm going to let you rant about the Year of Hell. Okay, so Year of Hell, Year of Hell was a season ender. Two-parter, great time travel episode. Had Kurt Wood Smith in it, which I love as an actor. Great guy. And whole premise on it is basically they encounter a crazy time traveling ship. And this guy is obsessed with ending a war and saving his civilization using effectively the ship's capacity to kind of delete timelines, as it were. It's a little more complicated than that, but I mean, that's what wiki's for. If you really want to know what was in Europe, hell, you can Google it in an instant. Anyway, so over the course of the two parts, the cast gets manipulated, a bunch of them die, the ship gets absolutely fucking devastated. Like, I'm talking main viewer gone into space wrecked and it's great like you end that first episode bunch of the main cast is dead the voyager is hobbled janeway is staring out into the void at you know the krenum ship and you feel like they're actually gonna change the status quo for once something may matter yeah like this might stick like maybe this is their excuse for how they're not gonna get home because this whole krenum weapon is since it's a time travel device, they could in theory either use it to correct getting the Delta Quadrant, travel faster forward in time to get around it and maybe get back. Just, like, just help. You could literally have them pop back where they started 10 minutes later and it's like, hey, fix that. Yeah, now we don't need to worry, right? Like, would have been, like, there's so many possibilities going into the second episode of Year of Hell that's going to make this stick, that it's going to matter, that it's going to change the direction of the show next season, and then it doesn't. And then and then it doesn't. I Kurtwood Smith's character just writes himself out of existence using his crazy timeline-destroying weapon, and everybody's back from the dead. And it highlights some of the biggest frustrations that I had with the writers in regards to Janeway, because her crew is fucking dead. Yeah, and not... Like, God, like, like her performance in that is less interesting than 20 seconds of, um, God, what's the episode? The episode where the Enterprise gets stuck in a time loop and they see the oh. Riker where he, Yeah, the pips. And it's like, no, we have to go with that. I know the one you're talking about. I do not no, know the name. No, but you, you see the Riker from the timeline where think the Borg have really wrecked everything. And he's sitting there screaming like, 
no, you can't send me back to that. The Borg have taken everything. Like, it's Riker and Worf and the bridge is otherwise burned out. That is the second half of Whom the Gods Would Destroy. Yeah. That is the closer. Yeah, and, well, that's it. Like, Freaks is there, disheveled, beard-looking, batshit crazy. The ship is breaking down. You can't send me back. I won't go back. Opens fire on another ship. They shoot him with a low-wavelength phaser, and the ship just fucking explodes. It just falls apart. <laughs> and it's just... But this... Janeway could have been that bad. Yeah, and she should have been. Like, looking out into the void through where the viewer should be, her bridge crew is mostly dead or injured. Her engineering deck is gone. Like, she should be... If, if you want to take it in the direction the writers were writing her, where she's just a cold-hearted bitch, well, she should be staring out at the Krenum ship with that look of, I'm going to personally skin you. Yeah. Again, SF Debris has a characterization of Janeway where she eats people. And That's kind of the direction the writers were moving in. And yeah. the writers, the writers kind of put her there, didn't she? Because she doesn't seem to care. Like, I've made the crack for years that she just likes sacrificing her crew. That death doesn't matter. And that's that's really weird when you consider that at the beginning, they do tell us the crew is exceedingly finite. Yeah. Like, the crew well, is like 100, 200 people. We, yeah, and there's 19 shuttlecraft on that. How many shuttlecraft did they burn through? Yeah. but How no. many photon torpedoes did they go through? They told us how many photon torpedoes they had. Oh, but that's fine. But They're no. gluing the pieces back together every single fucking time. Right? No. A bunch of the crew die. The ship is badly damaged. And Krennum just writes himself out of existence. And the entire two-part didn't happen. And it's like, I, time travel is always kind of dodgy to me in the first place. Because it is a good excuse to just write, yourself, like, write an interesting story and then write yourself out of it. But when you actually close the door that way. When you write a two-parter that's built on the implication of changing the status quo. And then you go, nope, psych. Well, and time travel on Voyager, of course, you know, gives us the brilliant fucking finale where future Janeway, who's better than regular Janeway by virtue of us telling her. Well, she's better because she's from the future. She's just a better person than Janeway is now. Shows up and hands the crew the button they need to push to end it. Just, Just do it. Here, push this button. The Borg are dead, you're home, yay. You don't don't resolve don't don't don't, don't resolve whatever lingering hooks were there from you leaving home. Like Harry Kim has a girlfriend, we're no, told. Okay, he, no. Nobody believed that. Nobody Harry's like, I have a girlfriend at home. No, you don't. If you do, she's dead. I, and that's just it's not because she died of old age or disease or anything to that effect. She was interested in you. Yeah. Everything you know and care about dies, starting with you. So, yeah, your girlfriend in Canada, she's dead. <laughs> so is Canada. So is Canada. <laughs> There's no Starfleet Canada, is there? No, well, Starfleet's based out of San Francisco, right? Yeah, and Riker's from Alaska, and everyone else is from somewhere not those two places. Yeah. So maybe Canadians just aren't keen on it. <laughs> you know, we live in an arboreal wilderness, so we're just like, no, I'm fine cutting down trees. <laughs> like Canadian Starfleet is two guys. And no, I okay, now I want Canadian Starfleet and it's still like a Starfleet uniform, but it's flat. <laughs> well, that that's it. You can't tell what rank they are because all three colors are in the tartan on the shoulder. <laughs> but Canadian Starfleet officers know because it's based on the pattern. Yeah, it's it's which one the biggest stripe is. Yep. They all wear toques, no matter what. <laughs> and the tubes are still in the tartan. Yep. 
a bunch of them can now run command consoles in hockey gloves. <laughs> well, of course. But anyhow, so that that's it. Like the Maki don't have to stand trial for whatever they did. No. Kim doesn't have to deal with his parents. Hell, I don't even think they consider themselves Maki anymore. Like well, they're just Starfleet now. I think they're all recommissioned. Well, that's it. Like if there had been an episode where Reg gets them recommissioned and pardoned, that would have been a thing for season seven. Yeah, but no. But, so uh, what What else do we not have to deal with? Oh, Tom Paris's daddy issues? Not a no, problem. No, that's, that doesn't matter. Uh, the fact that they've got a live fucking board on board doesn't matter. Yeah, because, you know, basic Starfleet command, not even like fucking Section 31. And I'm not, I hate those sons of bitches, but well, basic Starfleet command. As, as far as this show's concerned, I still think Section 31's one guy. Yeah, and I'm willing to accept that, but I still hate that. Like, not that it's one guy. I hate Section 31. Well, the idea that other shows have said it's not just that one no, guy. No, I'm like, no, I like the idea that it's him. But no, Starfleet Command should be like, wait, Live Borg? Live Borg, and you have Borg tech. How many different species tech is running your ship now? Nine. So Including Nazi lizards. Borg and Nazi lizards? You have to... Go back to Saturn and not get closer than Saturn. Yeah, you, you go back there, you stay there. We are going to send out the entire Corps of Engineers. And Cisco. Yeah. Just Cisco. Yeah, we're, we're not sending quick cards. Why well, does not respond well to the Borg? We thought Cisco didn't respond well to the Borg. And then they showed up on our doorstep. And we realized he takes it a lot better than Picard does. Yeah. It's moderately terrifying, in fact. He seen Picard angry? He can do angry. Oh yeah. Oh god. Oh, yeah. yeah. We we. I'll send you the video of what he did with the Tommy gun. Yeah. It's 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 kind of yeah. No. It it's it's intense, man. There's there's alternative reasons as to why we don't let him back on Earth. There's <laughs> a reason why we sent him to do everything yeah. but be here. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. We let Cisco come home to hang out with his dad. Yeah. His Picard? dad's great, by the way. Oh yeah, his dad's wonderful. But <laughs> but. But fuck, like, so we get the ending where time travel fixes everything, except we don't have to question. Explain anything. Explain anything. And in theory, there was, I guess, a sequel to Generations. And I'll call it a sequel, not in the sense that it deals with the ribbon, but just this idea of Picard and the other show leads having to negotiate each other. Like, there was a Star Trek movie that was Janeway, Cisco, Picard, solve a problem. Well, that'd be the captain's table, basically. And that that would be interesting, especially that, if you got somebody that wasn't the Voyager writers to write Janeway. Well, this is it. You bring back the Deep Space Nine crew, because they've worked on all three shows, yeah. and you say, hey, uh, do a show where these three guys have to solve a problem. I presume the Borg, because they've all got an attitude towards the Borg, but also maybe Romulans. Who knows? Well, you know what? I'd be fine if they throw in the Borg and, like, the opening volley is Janeway going, oh, no, this will be easy. And then it's, no, you were fighting, like, the, the B- bullshit, stupid Borg. The you, Borg that nobody talks about. Yeah, you're, you were fighting the training wheels Borg there, Janie. Yeah, like, those were, those were the lame Borg. Katie, you fought the training wheels Borg. Shh, shh, shh. And on the one hand, I kind of hate having to diminish your character like that. On the other hand, you seriously made the Borg a fucking monster of the week. What the hell is wrong with you? Well, God, if you made what she learned fighting them interesting and put it up against Cisco and Picard, who hate 
Yeah. And hell, this this is the arc is like, Cisco, I don't like you, Picard, but you know what I don't like more? Borg. I don't know why you wouldn't like me, Cisco, but, but I hate Borg too. Yeah. Are we friends now? Sure looks like it. Sure like, well, Worf says you're cool. Worf does say you're cool now. Yeah. God, this is a terrible high school drama, but it's I'd, I'd still kind of watch it. But yeah, no, like if the two of them just go, okay, no, we're going to blow the shit out of them. And Janeway's like, no, 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 no. I've fought these enough times. We, I know we got to come at him sideways. Yeah. Well, this is the tactical weakness on their cube. I didn't know about that. Well, this is what the Defiant can do with them. I didn't know about that. Well, I thought, I thought you might, but the Voyager's only half Defiant. Yeah. Like that'd be it. If all three of them are bringing different elements to it. And then it's like, it's just, well, like a board war cube or whatever the fuck like it was. Like a ain't. bigger, bigger, meaner first contact. Yeah. And they have to do this. Cool. It's, it'd be interesting. It'd like be interesting. bigger, meaner first contact, but also Romulans. Like the idea that, shit, they got Romulus. What do you mean they got Romulus? Hell, we already know the Romulans were toying with Borg technology. Yeah. Let's just say the Romulans sort of made it work. It generated its own cube, consumed a bunch of Romulans, and now you have a Romulan commander operating as the de facto queen. Like, this commander is still contract. Bring back Denise Crosby. Oh, Denise Crosby is the queen. Yes. There. There we go. This is a fucking movie now, yeah. ain't it? <laughs> like, we've got, we've got her fucking Romulan child there. She's now a Borg queen in charge of this cube. Goes, I'm going to take the entire fucking quadrant. And everybody's like, we sort of know what we're fighting, but we don't really know what we're fighting. Hell, you get Nimoy in the mix too. Because yeah. it's Romulans, so Nimoy knows better, than, so Spock knows better than anyone else. Yeah. And this this is a fucking movie. Yeah, I would watch this. I'd watch this far more than I watch Nemesis. God, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the bar for Nemesis ain't much. But that's what I mean. Like, we, we didn't get this movie, but we got that movie. And Janeway was in Nemesis. Yeah. I, fucking Janeway made Admiral out of this. And of course they did. They didn't want her in charge of a ship anymore. Look at the amount of damage Voyager took. Well, that's it. Like, I fully admit that Captain Janeway, one of your ensigns died three times. The previous record was under Kirk at two times. So you need to stay at a desk. Yeah, like, like... I think everyone's kind of agreed on Janeway's promotion as being thoroughly Peter Principal. Thoroughly Peter Principal. You can't do damage from here. Not she's like, not watch me. She's just constantly directing ships right into stars. Just directing ships into stars, generating horrible space viruses to inject into things. Is there some way to spread Barkley Regressive Syndrome? No! Well, I mean... What if I try you, really hard? Well, I mean, you could just... Demand everything happen via transporter all the time. Deal. Always. I'm going to change a bunch of regulations. The prime directive is now everything needs to be done via transport. You aren't even allowed to walk around the bridge. You have to transport step to step. You have to transport from station to station. That's everybody's a spider monster. <laughs> everybody's There's a spider. A ship that's just full of spider monsters. <laughs> Oddly effective. Yeah. They get a lot of work done once they overcome you know, the the whole body dissonance that goes along with it, where they're like, wait, I have multiple extra arms and I can see in various spectrum. Oh, okay, that actually makes doing my work in engineering a lot easier. This is great. Federation of Spidership One. Spidership One here. <laughs> Spidership One. We're doing fine. Yeah. 
I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, so Voyager fucking sucks. Oh my god. And it, the worst part is it and doesn't that, have to. Th- this is it. It's At some point we'll talk about Toss, and Toss is only good a third of the time. And we'll talk about Enterprise, which sucks. Until the last season. But this is it. But, it's, and that's because they took the chains off the last season. But this is it. Toss is bad because they didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. Enterprise is bad because they didn't know what they wanted or what they could do. And Voyager is bad because they failed to know what they could be. Well, Voyager didn't have a reason to be bad. Like, Toss was a product of its time science fiction. So some episodes... Like, Toss, you don't even get an extended period. As much as everybody rags on third season and it's fun to rip on Spock's brain, Spock's brain is actually an entertaining episode. Well, it's fun because at least the actors showed up. Yeah, like Day of the Dove, Spectre with Gun. Like, third season also has Tholi and Webb, which everybody fucking loves in regards to Toss. Like, Toss has good episode and bad episode all over the fucking place because it's, we're going to call in sci-fi writers. Well, it's, it's, well, in the Toss review, we'll say that yeah. it's a product of sci-fi short story writers showing up with, I've got an idea, let's put a Kirk in it. Yeah. And if that idea is good, well, then the it's idea good. Works. And, if, and if, if it's bad, well, it's a Star Trek episode. Yeah, you can't save it. And, I mean, Enterprise, well, they were fucking nervous after Voyager. So they're like, we can't really take any risks. We're going to do a prequel rather than a sequel, but we're not actually going to really roll the dice on any of it until they get to the fourth season. And I was like, well, we're going to shit can the show anyway. So do whatever the fuck you want. And we get a two-parter mirror, mirror, which is good. And we just get just a variety of solid character-focused episodes and even a closing episode that I really enjoy. Like Enterprise in fourth season was writers can do what they want. And the writers sat down and wrote good Star Trek. There is no justifiable reason Voyager couldn't have been good Star Trek. It was well, a choice. Every Everything about the premise is good Star Trek. Yeah. And nothing about the execution is good Star Trek. Yeah. And so it just comes back to writers got tired, actors didn't care, producers just wanted something that lasted more than a year because God fucking knows Shasta McNasty wasn't driving people to the UPN. Yup. And it's, it's, it's fucking tragic. Like, the base premise... And again, I said as a kid, I didn't much care for The Voyage Home. I, I didn't. I was a kid. There are elements to the plot I like. There are elements to the plot that I don't. But you can make it work. You can. You have to develop your characters. You have to have... You planted the seeds for conflict right from the beginning, and they're all over the place in this. And that's great. There's so many good hooks to pull on. Yeah. Why didn't you? Because that sounds like work. And the only time they ever worked was when Kate Mulgrew would go in and go like, guys, come on. I would like to do something interesting with Janeway this week. And they went, turn her into a bitch. Let's turn her into a bitch. And then her character gets more and likable. And then seven years. Yeah. Just seven years of that problem. And I, there's no reason for it. As much as I kind of expected we'd sit down in this episode and just tear this fucking thing apart. Fuck Fairhaven! Yeah. And I mean, there are, there are still organs that I am pulling out of this corpse, and it's like, this doesn't need to be here. This goes in the garbage. But we're going over this autopsy, and it's like, there are way too many knife wounds in this thing. I am... I now feel more sad than, than angry. Well, I'm angry at Enterprise. I'm sad with Voyage. Yeah. I... But, on the upside, Reg is great. Reg Barkley, yeah. the best character in Star Trek. Quite possibly. 
There's no proof that Reg is the best character in Star Trek. Well, his his mirror universe counterpart was an asshole, and that was great. Some sort of raging murder machine yeah. that, that stormed through the Enterprise for 12 issues. I wonder if he got turned into a spider monster. I feel like evil Reg would have tried <laughs> to stay a spider monster. Oh, God. If that's the conclusion of the Broken Mirror comic arc, where it's like, oh, dear, I've experienced Barkley Regressive Syndrome. But now I'm double murderous. Well, no, I would love it if that's what Reg does to beat him, right? Like, Reg is like, oh my god, I can't... Wait! He's me, right? Well, yeah. And my problem is genetic, right? Well, yeah, but that's that's why we developed a vaccine for it. He yeah. hasn't had it! Haha! Transport! And he just winds up back in the mirror universe, and he's like, I... Wait, was that really supposed to stop? <laughs> oh, this can't be good. Or can it? <laughs> like Admiral Spider Reg of oh, the Terran Empire. Like, two years from now, you come back to the Mirror Universe episode. Well, you come back to the Mirror Universe, and he's just the Spider Monster in a Starfleet uniform, <laughs> commanding everything. Yeah. Everybody's just like, "What? How, you guys listen to this thing? Well, yeah, he's actually a really good commander. He doesn't send a lot of us screaming to our deaths. If you oppose him, he murders you with his acidic spider weapon." He's a acidic spider web. Mate, I look, he's a spider monster. I just accept what I'm told. The emperor is a spider monster. Yeah. I do what he says, or he drinks my fluids. Yeah. Like, I don't know if he's gonna do that. I'm not gonna try to find out. Everybody that gets near him turns into like a fish or a lizard or a ape. I don't know. It's we're very organized right now, okay? We're doing great under Emperor Spider. <laughs> I feel like that's not how that comic ended, but I want it to, so we're going to leave it there. We should just forward this episode to the writers of Broken Mirror. Yeah. Specifically telling them, go to the end. We have given you a free ending for the comic. Make Evil Reg Spider Monster. <laughs> spider Reg for Emperor. Hashtag, <laughs> Hashtag not my Spider Reg. Yeah, maybe there, there are elections coming up. We could try and run Spider Ridge as a candidate. <laughs> uh, he seems better than many other. That's sadly uh, true. He's only like 70% likely to lay eggs in your stone. <laughs> good night, everybody. Have a good night, folks. Uh, I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Thank you very much for listening. This show is brought to you under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License version 3.0. You can find more of our episodes at sbocpodcast.com and be sure to like us, rate us, review us, share us on whatever means you like best because that does help us a great deal. Have a good day.